You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Praise the Lord. All right, well, this is week number seven in our series, and this is the conclusion of our series called Life or Death. And uh, we've been talking about the power of our words, and God has kind of just veered us off in a direction. He took us in a direction. It's still based on the same thing, but we've been talking over the last three weeks about praise and worship. And uh, I've got some more good things that I want to share with you this week, and, and uh, I know that um, it'll be an encouragement to you. <clears throat> but I want to just touch base on our foundation scripture found in Proverbs 18, verses 20 through 21. This is from the easy-to-read version of the Bible, and it says this, Your words, say that, say, my words, can be as satisfying as fruit, the Scripture says, as pleasing as the food that fills your stomach. The tongue can speak words that bring life or death, and those who love to talk must be ready to accept what it brings. And I'm going to add something to the latter part of that 21st verse I'm going to say this, those who love to talk recklessly, there's nothing wrong with talking if you're saying the right thing, okay? But if you just, you know, have a habit of rambling on and talking unnecessarily about things and saying the wrong things, then according to this verse, you have to be ready to accept what your words bring to pass in your life. And so I want to just touch on some things, that, some principles that we've been talking about and uh, just for the last couple of weeks and talking about praise and worship. Now, one of the things that we have been saying is uh, all along, and these aren't in your notes, uh, but, but that your words, you have the choice on whether your words produce life or they produce death. That's up to you. And so, you know, if you want to change the quality of your life, if you want to change the direction of your life, then you speak write words based on the Word of God, and you change what you're saying. And I want to say this to you, just to be an encouragement, it's a process. You might not change your, your, uh, your habits of the way you talk uh, overnight, uh, but you can change them, and they will change over time if you make a diligent effort at it. And so over the last couple of weeks, again, we've been talking about praise and worship, so let me hit a couple of things that we've been talking about in, in that particular area, and that is this. Praise is an act of faith. Praise is an act of faith, and it's an act of reverence. There's no better way to release your faith than in your praise and worship. You declare your faith when you're praising and worshiping God. What does that mean? When you're thanking God for something that you have not experienced yet in the natural that is an act of faith. Now, you know, if you want to get down to just brass tacks about it, the Bible says no man has seen God at any time. And so the, the truth of the matter is when we praise someone we have not ever seen, that is a huge act of faith. Now, it's also an act of reverence, and this is very important, and that we honor and we reverence the Lord. You know, the Bible, again, uses an old, old word, that some people misunderstand called the fear of the Lord. 
And it's not like we're afraid of God, like we would be afraid of the boogeyman. But no, we reverence God. We honor Him. We respect Him for who He is. He is the Most High God. Matter of fact, there is no one greater, there's no one bigger, there's no one smarter or more powerful than our God is. And so we, we revere Him, we honor Him because of that. The next thing is, is uh, Brother Copeland had a statement that he said. He said, when you pray, you lay hold of things. But when you praise, you win battles. <clears throat> when you pray, when you pray the prayer of faith, you receive and lay hold of things. But when you praise God, you win battles. And again, we could take many, many hours and, and look at Old Testament and New Testament stories where people won the victory in their praise but I'll let you do that, do some study on your own, and you can find that out. Praising God takes us to the other side of the opposition. <clears throat> the good news is, excuse me, if you're facing opposition right now, if you will begin to praise God, praise will take you to the other side of that opposition. And guess what's on the other side of that opposition? Victory. So praise can carry you all the way through to your victory, all right? Now, here's another thing that we said, and that is this. The exit road out of your problems is paved with praise and worship. If you're in a difficult situation, the best way to begin shaping your exit out of that situation is through your praise and worship. Now, we don't praise God for the trials and the tests because they don't come from God. But what we do praise God for is that the Bible says he will always make a way of escape. He will make a way out of us. You know, like we sang earlier, he, he's the way maker. And I, the thing that I love about God is that he knows where a way is even when you can't see a way. You know, he, I heard it said a long time ago that um, God has a million ways to solve your problem. And all you need is one. Okay, so, but praise and worship will begin to bring you out of that situation so the exit road out of your problems is paved with praise and worship. Now, we talked about last week. Anybody remember the, the, the title of last week? Praise can put it back. <laughs> I'll just go ahead and give it to you. Praise can put it back. And we looked at the story in Luke chapter 17. You remember the 10 lepers that came to Jesus or hollered out for Jesus and Jesus cleansed all 10 of them. And then uh, the one came back to honor and to praise and to thank the Lord for what he had done for his in his life. And what happened to him? He was made whole. Now, what does that mean? That all 10 of them, the leprosy was stopped it could no longer damage their body. But again, if you know anything about leprosy, leprosy extracts from people. It, it causes you to lose extremities. It causes great damage to your physical body. And, and uh, long term, it could even be terminal. But the fact of the matter is, when, when the ten cried out, Jesus healed them all. He cleansed them all of the leprosy, but only one came back to Jesus in praise and worship, the Bible says he fell on his face and glorified God with a loud voice. 
And Jesus called that faith, and he told the man, your faith has made you whole. So what happened? As that man fell on his face and glorified God for what God had done in his physical body, just in the healing, all of a sudden, stuff that might have been missing, and we don't have any indication as to what that was, but let's just assume he had lost part of his ear. Well, his ear was made whole. Or maybe he had lost part of his nose or a facial feature or something like that. All of that was made whole and restored. Why? Because the man returned to give God glory and to praise him for healing. I said this last week. I, you know, I didn't put it in the notes for this week. But why settle for cleansing when you can have wholeness? I'm going to say that again. I need y'all to cough or say amen a little bit louder or something, all right? Why settle for cleansing? Why settle for healing when you can have wholeness? Now, what does wholeness mean? And we'll talk about this maybe sometime in the near future where healing is concerned. But, you know, again, I'm reminded of the woman that with the issue of blood that Jesus healed or that was healed by the power of God. And her wholeness was not in the form of physical parts being attached, she had lost a lot of money going to doctors for 12 years. And Jesus told her her faith has made her whole. In other words, everything that was missing and taken from her as a result of that disease, because of her faith and her praise and her worship, it was being restored back to her. So again, getting healed of an issue of blood is wonderful. But I tell you, there's a step above that called wholeness that maybe some of us are missing out on. And so God wants us to uh, experience all of it. I said this to you, that anything that is missing can be put back through your praise. You know, you might get... God might bring you out of a situation, but let me ask you, did that situation take anything from you? If it did, start praising God and glorifying God, and what is missing can be brought back to you. And then we said this, you can praise and worship your way into wholeness. Now, I'm going to say this to you. This might, this might seem like a bit of a stretch, but I believe it's true, and that is this. Even stuff that we've lost because of our poor decisions. Let me say it to you another way. Even things that have, are missing in our lives because of, of things that we did wrong. God would de desire to restore those things back to us. He's just that good, y'all. You know, <clears throat> little side note. As I was studying and, and praying and, and praying over my notes yesterday, I, I was thinking about this. Um, it's hard for us to wrap our brains, our heads around a God who wants to do nothing but good for you and wants nothing in return except your heart. I mean, that's awesome. You know, because here's why. We deal with people all the time who will be good to you, but they want something in return. In other words, they'll do you good, but you owe them something. Okay? I got news for you. You don't owe God anything. Jesus paid it all. 
Amen. All he wants is your life and your heart. That's it. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. All right, so let's go on. Let's look at this. And the Lord led me back to a scripture that we touched on a little bit last week. But let's look at John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. I'm going to read it uh, to you first from the New King James Version. Now, again, this is during an encounter that Jesus has with a Samaritan woman. And as I explained to you last week, the Samaritans were basically half-breed Jews. They were not full-blooded Jewish people because they had allowed themselves to commingle with uh, people that God had instructed them not to commingle with. And so uh, they were on the outs, so to speak. And so what you had is the northern part uh, of the nation or the land of Israel was a separate nation called Israel. And then you had Judah down in the south, and this is where Jerusalem was, and they considered themselves to be more Orthodox Jews, okay? So here Jesus walks and goes up to Samaria and has an encounter with a woman at the well. And if you'll re read in John chapter 4 at your leisure, you'll read the whole conversation that this woman has with Jesus. And so uh, just as uh, like a lot of us would do if we had an encounter with Jesus, she tries to get all religious on him. And so she, she starts playing the cards like, well, you know, you guys say we need to worship in Jerusalem. Our fathers say we got to worship on this mountain, which was another mountain up in Samaria. And so Jesus comes back and he responds, and he responds in verse 23, and he says this, but the hour is coming and now is, uh, well, the first thing that he says, I didn't include it in this, was, Basically, Jesus, my paraphrasation is, it really doesn't matter where you worship. What matters is that you worship. Okay, so, but he says, but the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father, notice how he keeps referring to God. What does he keep calling God? Father, that's so foreign to these folks. So, but the Father... Uh, is seeking such to worship him. So what this tells me is God is looking for some worshipers. But he's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, as he goes on to say in, in verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must. Say must. must. So is, that, is that a requirement? Okay. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God is looking for worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth. But if you're going to be a worshiper, then you're going to have to worship him in spirit and in truth. So I want to dive into this a little bit. Now, what, what was so foreign to these people, and especially even the Orthodox Jews, is if you'll think about this, under the old covenant, it was all about your worship being in Jerusalem at the temple. Now, one thing that you may not understand is most every major village in Judah, or let's say in Israel, had a synagogue. But that was a little different. A synagogue was not necessarily a place of worship. It was a place of discipleship. It was a place where people were taught the Old Testament law. 
but you really didn't go to the synagogue necessarily to worship. If you wanted to worship, you would make a journey to Jerusalem, you would offer sacrifices, and you would do the things that are required uh, in order to meet the qualifications. And so what I want you to see is, is under the old covenant, worshiping God was all about physical location and environment. Okay? So when Jesus says what he says, this totally upends the people's thinking. Because under the new covenant, we worship God in spirit, not limited to a natural place or natural circumstances. Aren't you glad that, that you know, two or three times a year, you don't have to buy an expensive plane ticket and get on a plane and fly all the way to Tel Aviv, Israel, and then drive down to Jerusalem and, and then go and worship God. And you can only do it three times a year, or let's say it this way, as much as you could afford. I'm glad that it's different. Matter of fact, let me read this out of the Passion Translation. It says this, from here on, Jesus said, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but look at this, but with the right heart. Now, who is God looking for? Worshipers, okay? So God is looking for people who will worship him with the right heart. For God is a spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshipers who worship and adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. So why is God looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth? Well, let me kind of define it for you, and I'll put it up on the screen. When Jesus said the phrase, in spirit and in truth, it's almost like a compound phrase. It wasn't, he wasn't intending for it to be two separate things. Let me explain. In this verse, it means to worship God with a sincere mind, with sincerity of heart, not merely with external rites and traditions and things like that. You know, matter of fact, some of the same thinking that the Jews had has kind of crept into modern day. Because there are some people that wouldn't dream of worshiping God at their house, but they don't mind going down to the church and letting a priest worship for them while they sit there and watch and listen. A lot of times in a language they can't even understand. Hello. Okay. And could it be, now in what I'm referring to there is some traditional, deeply traditional churches, but could it be we've even allowed that to creep into non-traditional churches where we wouldn't dream of worshiping God at home or in the car or anywhere else but at church and we are spectators watching a worship team worship for us. Same thing. But God is looking for people who will worship him with a sincere mind, sincerity of heart, not merely with external things. It means to worship God without distraction and giving your full attention to what you are doing. 
Now, that's difficult. That's challenging sometimes. Particularly, uh, you know, I'm easily distracted. Maybe you're not. But, you know, a lot of times, um, I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm ADD or anything like that, but I am. I'm easily distracted. You know, if I sit down to read my Bible or something like that, if my phone dings like I got a text, I'm easily distracted by that. Why? Because (laughs) fear missing out, FOMO starts creeping in. Anybody know what FOMO is? You all got it. You know you do. All right. So, but what God is looking for is, is somebody who will worship him with sincere mind, sincerity of heart, and without distraction and giving your full attention to what you're doing. Let me, let me ask you a question. How do you think it would go if, um, you know, let's say I decide I want to get married, and uh, so I'm going to propose to my future bride. So I, I, we're, we're together, and, and I've got this plan where I, I bought the ring and I want to propose. So what I plan to do is propose while we're watching a football game. Let's say the Super Bowl, all right? And so we're watching TV, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a big game particularly, you know, a couple of teams that I'm really interested in watching and I want to keep up with what's going on in the game. How well do you think it's going to go over if during a commercial break I decide I want to pop the question? And she gets all excited and then the commercial ends and I'm like, shh, 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 be quiet. The game's back on. How well you think that's going to go over? Not very well at all. Why? Because that's supposed to be a very special moment, a very special occasion. And I take away from that special moment and that special occasion because my attention is not in what I'm doing. Are you listening to me? Okay. So how, how let me rephrase that. Would it be the same thing If I'm here during praise and worship on Sunday morning and the music is playing, the worship is going up, but my mind is on the game or my mind is on what I have to do this afternoon or my mind is on what a rotten week I had last week or whatever the situation might be, is that going to be meaningful? No, because I'm distracted. My attention is somewhere else, okay? So write this down, please. If you're taking notes, fill in this blank. It's not enough to just take on the posture of worship where, you know, I might even be like this, but my mind is far from what I'm doing. It's not enough to just take on the posture of worship, but we must engage our hearts and give our full attention to the Lord. Your full attention. Now, granted, again, uh, you know, if I've worked in, uh, in church services almost all my life, and most of the time or a lot of that time has been on the technical side where I've been involved in production or some other aspect of the service. And I know when you're doing that, uh, you're, you're preoccupied with what your job is. 
And you're facilitating things to create an environment for other people to worship, okay? So I understand that, all right? But what God is looking for in us in worshipers, when that is where, what we are there to do, he's looking for our full attention. Let me show you some scriptures. Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9, Jesus uh, was talking to some religious leaders and he said this, frauds and hypocrites. Isaiah described you perfectly when he said, now I want to see if maybe, and, and listen, I, I, I'm challenged by this, but see if this challenges you a little bit. These people, he, Jesus said, honor me only with their words, but their hearts are so very distant from me. Can I, can I pose a question to you? Let me finish the verse. They pretend to worship me, but their worship is nothing more than the empty traditions of men. Now, could it be I'm doing the same thing when I'm like this or, you know, when I'm standing there holding the back of the seat, I have my eyes closed and I'm listening to the music. I look like I'm worshiping, but my heart is nowhere near my worship. Um, Jesus said that's not a good thing, okay? Let's look at Psalm 111, verse 1. David wrote, he said, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with what? My whole heart. And the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Um, can I say this to you? Um, and, and we'll talk more about this maybe in just a minute. Church and what we do here in church is your practice time. Well, I'll talk to these people up here, okay? See, what we do here, as far as worship is concerned, is practice time for you. You know why? Because it's easy to worship when there's a group of people around you worshiping. Why? Because there's a corporate faith. It, there's a corporate spirit and anointing in the environment. It's far more difficult to worship with your whole heart when you're by yourself. Well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Okay? So again, praise the Lord, David said. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So, and notice what he said. I will. I will. It's a decision on your part. Okay? Now, um, God is looking for people who are all in. You know what I mean when I say that? All in. Matter of fact, write this down. When you are all in, you get full of what you are all in. Whatever you are all in for, you get full of that. If you're all in to sports, you know, like let's say you're an avid golfer, and, uh, you know, you're all into golf. Nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you're all into, guess what you're going to be full of? Golf. Why? Because that's what you're going to think about. That's what you're going to talk about. That's what's going to consume your life. Okay? So when we're all in in worship, 
we get full of what we are all in for. Does that make sense to you? Turn to somebody close to you and ask them, say, are you full of something? <laughs> Tell them this, say, I think you're full of it. <laughs> all right? No, what, what am I saying to you? We need to be full of what we are all in. Okay? Now, let's change gears for just a little bit. I, I want to ask you a question, okay, relating this to our faith. Uh, is there anybody in the room besides me that has ever or are struggling with worry? Okay, I'd say that's pretty much all of us. Okay, some of you were scared to raise your hand, but uh, all right, but it's true, okay? Now, see, when we are faced with a difficult situation, when we're in the middle of a trial, and we're having a hard time, we're having a difficult time, and we have needs in our lives, particularly needs that are producing great pressure in our lives, and that's what we spend a lot of time thinking about. Um, the dialogue in your mind very often is, what am I going to do to get out of this current situation? Is that right? You're... you're rehashing the problem over and over and over again, trying to figure out tiring. And can I say this to you? There's nothing more tiring than trying to figure out what you cannot figure out. I'm going to say that again. That's good right there. There is nothing more tiring than trying to figure out what you cannot figure out. Okay? So, what are we supposed to do? Well, write this down, please. Worshiping God gets our attention off the mountain and over on God, who is our mountain mover. Let me say that one again. Worshiping God gets your attention off the mountain and over on God, the mountain mover. I'm going to say this to you. It is impossible for you to worship God with your whole heart and be all in and still worrying about your problems. In other words, you have to stop wor worshiping and pick up your worry again. Because when you make the decision to worship God, you have to lay that worry down. Okay? So, because you, you can't do both at the same time. Now, what we have to do is we have to understand something. And I'm, I'm going to explain this to you very simply and very quickly, and that is this. Your mind in the mental arena is Satan's playground. Okay? So when you're worried and you're agitated and you're fretting and you're anxious and, and going over the problem in your mind, uh, that is where the devil is going to try and work against you. And i got news for you. He can outthink you. Okay? So what we have to do is we have to get out of his playground and get over in God's playground called the Spirit. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So how do we do that? Well, we start by learning to be like that single man that was healed of leprosy and go back to the place. There's a word that was in those verses last week, if you'll remember. The man returned. We have to learn to return 
to the place of our blessing, our provision, our security, our soundness, all of that. You have to stay out of the mental arena, and when you begin to worship, you connect to the faith that is in your heart, and it moves you over into the spirit where God is. I'm not getting too deep for you, Emma. Okay? All right? So, that's what happens. See, you're not worshiping God out of here. It might start here because you're, like, like the psalmist said, I will praise the Lord. I will bless the Lord. I will remember all of his benefits in my life, like David said in Psalm 103. It might start here, but there's something that happens if you'll stay with it, that there is a connection that's made to your heart and you will begin to worship God out of your heart, not just your head. And when you get to that point where you make that connection to your heart, the, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that faith is not of the head, faith is of the heart. And so when you worship God and you are all in, you're giving him your full attention, you move out of this arena, you tap into this arena where your faith is, where God lives, and where the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God reside on the inside of you. Okay? So, again, let me go back to verse 24. Jesus said, God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So what does it mean to worship God in truth? Well, here we go. Write this down. To worship God in truth means that we worship him based on his word. You base your worship on the truth of God's word. In other words, when you go to worship, take the word with you. Now, I, you know, I, you, it's wonderful. You can literally take the Bible with you, but I'm talking about put the word into your worship. Because there's a lot of people that have a tendency to want to worship God out of their emotions. Now, feelings and emotions are great. God gave them to us. But you weren't designed to worship God out of your emotions. What you were designed to do is worship God in the spirit by faith and let that affect your emotions. There's a difference. Are, are you listening to me? See, there's a difference between working yourself up to an emotional frenzy and, you know, you're just a mess. You're crying and snotting all over the place and then you decide to worship God. That's, that, that's out of order. What we're supposed to do is worship God and you get over into that connection where you're connected to your heart and you start thinking about how good God is to you, how faithful he is to you, how powerful and mighty he is. And let me tell you something, you start dwelling on that and it will affect your emotions. Because listen, you, listen, sweetheart, you can't cry hard enough to make it move God. Your tears don't move God. Your faith moves God. Now, the Bible says he's touched. Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But Jesus isn't moved 
by your feelings or his feelings. Am I helping anybody? All right. So, uh, write this down, please. The part of the word that we worship God with and for is the part that will work for you. Let me say that again. The part of the word that we worship with and we worship for is the part that will work for us. Uh, let, me, let me say this to you, okay? And I, I don't mean be dogmatic with this, but I'm just giving you an example. If you need healing in your body, don't spend all your time worshiping God as your provider. It's okay, but worship God as your healer. Take the word into your worship as God is your healer and all that he's done to provide healing for you. And as you do that, that's the part that will begin to work for you. Does that make sense to you? Okay. Now, um, here's what you can't do. Don't let the facts of your circumstances determine your flow of praise and worship to the Father. Whether your circumstances are good or bad, don't let that determine your flow of worship. Matter of fact, write this down, worship God in truth and not based on facts. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, that means this. You might have pain in your body. You might have sickness in your body. And that's a fact, Jack. <laughs> okay. I just thought I'd say that, see if y'all were awake. All right, because that might be a fact. But the truth is, remember we worship God in spirit and in truth. The truth is, by his stripes, you were healed. So the truth is, I'm healed because of what Jesus did for me. Now here's what you got to do and understand is that when you worship God in truth, it will change your facts, your circumstances. Does that make sense to you? Okay. All right. So don't, that's why I'm saying, don't let your facts, what's going on in your life and the circumstances of your life determine your flow of worship. You change the flow of your circumstances through and by your worship. Okay, all right. Now, um, that being said, write this down. We don't worship God only because of what he can do. Now, it's, that's wonderful to praise and thank God because of what he can do, because he can do a lot. But don't let that be the main focal point. Let your worship be because of who he is. Okay, what, what does that mean? Well, if I'm in need of healing, instead of, and there's nothing wrong with this, start out praising God that, that he has healed you. <clears throat> but take it a step further and deeper and start worshiping God because he is your healer. See, there's a difference in worshiping God for healing and worshiping God because he is a healer. It, there's a difference in worshiping God because he's met your need and worshiping God because he's your provider. 
See, you're, you're getting over into a place where he, you're talking to him and you're ministering to him because of who he is, not because of what he has or can do. Okay? Uh, l- let me illustrate it for you. What if you, you know, your child came in and uh, they knew you had some candy. And, uh, you know, all they did was come in and, and snuggle up to you and say, you know, I really love you and I love your candy. I just appreciate your candy so much. Ooh, I wish I, wish I could have some of your candy. Okay. Now, again, for a little child, nothing wrong with that. But what if that child came in and got in your lap and loved on you and said, I just love you because of who you are. I love you because you're so good to me. I love you because you're so loving to me. I love you because you are, you, you just are, are overwhelmingly kind to me. Okay? Let me tell you something. If a child starts worshiping you, not worshiping you, but talking to you like that, aren't you going to be inclined to give them some candy anyway? Okay. Well, God's the same way. He's a good parent. All right? So you worship him, not for what he's done or what he can do per se, but you worship him because of who he is. You worship him because he is your savior. You worship him because he is your healer. You worship him because he is your provider. You worship him because he is your protector. And the list goes on and on and on. I I just encourage you, do some study on your own and begin to look at the Psalms and pay attention to some of the things that David would say to the Lord. You, You know, the Bible says and I've mentioned this to you before, but it bears repeating, and that is this. Um, David would go into the presence of God, and he would say stuff like, God, I just worship you in the beauty of your holiness. Now, can can I tell you something? There is nobody that is more beautiful than God is. Okay? And when you begin to talk about how beautiful his holiness is, his goodness is, all of those things, it moves the heart of God. Pay attention to those types of things when you're reading through the Psalms, okay? Now, if you struggle, or not struggle, but if you need a place, rather, to launch from in your worship, then write this down, worship God for what he has done in your life. You'll find in the Bible, I'm reminded of Acts chapter 16. Right now, you remember when Paul and Silas were in jail? Read what their prayer was. Also read when Peter and John got put into jail for healing the man at the gate beautiful, when they got released and they went back to uh, the, the, the family believers and they, they had a prayer meeting, read what they prayed in that prayer meeting. They start out talking about what God has done. Matter of fact, let me show you a scripture in Psalm 77, verses 11 through 20. Look at what the psalmist started out saying. I 
will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Now, this is why I've always recommended, and I started doing this a number of years ago, keeping a journal of when you pray about something, keep a journal and make a record of when uh, and how the Lord answered that prayer. Because what you're going to need is some ammunition later on. You're going to need a launching pad later on. And so when you do that, it'll, it'll, you'll have a place where you can go back and you, you can say, Lord, I remember when you did this for me. The, the psalmist goes on to say, uh, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will also meditate on all your work and talk of your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? You are the God who does wonders. You've declared your strength among the peoples. You have, uh, you have with your arm redeemed your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. Selah, that means think about that. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and were afraid. The depths also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Your arrows also flashed about, talking about lightning. The voice of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Sounds to me like they were recalling some things that God had done for them. Start there if you need to. Remember some of the things. And listen, somebody says, I can't think of anything. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Then you got something to thank God for. Lord, I thank you. I was on my way to hell. I was lost and undone. I was a mess. And you came and saved me and delivered me. And now I'm on my way to heaven. Start there if you have to. I hope I'm helping you this morning. Praise God. Let's look at the 143rd Psalm, verses 4 and 5. If you ever find yourself in the place that describes you in verse 4. Therefore, my spirit is overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is distressed. Anybody ever been there? I have. Look at what he did. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. So when my heart is heavy, my heart is distressed, when my spirit is overwhelmed, Lord, what I'm going to do is I'm going to remind myself of what you've done in my past how you showed up and how you've delivered me and provided for me and taken care of me. Hallelujah. Praise God. Here's something I want you to get, all right? When we worship God for what he has done, he will do more of it. That's good right there. I'm going to say that again. You mind? I'm going to anyway. When we worship God for what he has done, he will do more of it. Okay, let me, let me ask you a question again. You do something for a loved one, child, or a family member, and they don't express any gratitude for it, how, how likely is it that you're going to continue to do that for them? Probably not, okay? And I'm not saying God is like us in that sense, but he will give you more attention when you do express your praise and worship to him for what he has done. Now, if you don't get any 
anything else out of what I have said today, get this. What we rehearse, God repeats. You know what rehearse means? You go over it and over it and over it. What we rehearse before the Lord, God will repeat. Okay? Amen. All right. Almost done. Here we go. Write this down. When we are continually praising him, we are setting up our future to be full of what we are praising him for. That's good, too. I'm going to say that one again. When we are continually praising him, we are setting up our future to be full of what we're praising him for. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Worshiping God plays a role in you receiving your miracle. Every time. Every time. And I, I've said this before, but I want to remind you of it again because it's it's good and it's very important, and that is this. There is nothing. Everybody say nothing. There is nothing, not one thing you cannot praise your way out of, and there is not one thing you cannot praise your way into. If we will get that, man, I'm telling you, it will, it will revolutionize our lives. And, you know, just like you, I have opportunities to practice these things. And, uh, you know, I, I am making a concerted effort to, to this right, just this one phrase right here. If I need out of something, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise my way out of it. If there's something I need to get into, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise my way into it. If there's something God's wanting me to get into, something he's wanting us to go as a church, so, I mean, as far as something he wants us to accomplish, people that he wants us to reach, all of that, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to praise our way into it. Hallelujah. Praise God. So you can see the power of our worship, and uh, I've just barely scratched the surface on this. This is a subject in the Bible, man, I could teach a year on this because it is so powerful and so vitally important to our lives as believers because if we could understand some things about the presence of God, man, I'm telling you, it will turn your world upside down. And here's the thing you need to understand, and I just want to remind you this, and then we'll pray. God is wanting to manifest himself to you. God is not off in heaven somewhere and he's over in a corner hiding, hoping you'll never figure out how to tap into him. No, he's wanting us. Now, here's the thing, though. We got to do it his way, okay? And, and, and the problem is or challenge is learning by the Holy Spirit, how to do it His way. How do we worship God His way and provide? In the Old Testament, there's a reference where God said, he, or the Scripture says, He dwells in the praises and the worship of His people. In the Hebrew, what you need to understand is, is that literally means that 
When we praise and when we worship God, we build him a house and invite him to move in. And his promise is, if we will do that, he'll move in every time. And I think, um, I believe that as we progress and the closer we get to the end of this age, and I, I, you know, listen, I've heard prophecies along this line 40 years ago that as, as churches, local churches are worshiping and praising God, I, I remember a, a, a prophecy year, I mean, I want to say it was 40 years ago, 40, 42, 41, 42 years ago. And the prophecy was essentially this, that as local churches began to worship and praise God, and invite the presence of God in that on the outside of the physical building, it's going to look like the building is on fire. But it's the fire of God. And people on the outside are going to think the building is on fire and call the fire department. And when the firemen show up on the scene, they're going to run into the building and be overwhelmed with the presence of God and cry out to God and ask God to save them. Somebody says, oh, pastor, that's just so far-fetched. Well, you know, I've heard the testimonies. Uh, there were, uh, I don't know exactly how many times, but I know of one particular case where Smith Wigglesworth got on a train one time, went and sat down in his car, minding his own business, sat down in the seat in his car, and as his custom was, he carried a New Testament with him. He got his Bible out. And all of a sudden, the power of God hit that train car and everybody in the train car fell on their faces and cried out and said, what must we do to be saved? Like the Philippian, Philippian jailer did. And he was able to lead them all to Christ. Now, that sounds wonderful and that sounds awesome, but, but And we just, we write that off and say, well, you know, that was, he was a great minister. He was nothing more special than you are. It's just he learned how to walk in that. God's wanting us to walk in that too. Can I get an amen? amen. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, thank you so much for our time together today. Thank you for the word that we've heard. Thank you for the Spirit of God laying these things on my heart, not only to refresh it in my thinking so that I can make sure it's incorporated into my life, but Father, you've reminded me of these things so that I can bring it to your people and stir their hearts as well. And so, Father, I thank you for moving on each and every heart that's present in this building. Father, I thank you, Lord, for stirring in us a desire and a hunger for you like never before. Father, I thank you that as we face and we're right upon the threshold of 2023, I pray, Father, that we, all of us, myself included, we would begin to make plans in the year to come to make room for you like we never have before, to put our full attention in our worship, to not let our hearts be far from you, but to place our focus on you, to not just go through the motions, but Father, to begin to experience you like we've never experienced before. 
Father, I believe with all my heart that you're longing to show your people, to reveal to your people your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your power, your mercy, your grace in, in levels that we've never experienced before. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have that in store for us. So Father, I speak on behalf of this church and I say, Lord, we desire that. We hunger for you. We hunger for your presence. We hunger for your anointing. We hunger and desire for you to manifest yourself in our midst. Father, I thank you for equipping each and every one. And Lord, I thank you that like the psalmist said, like that deer who longs and thirsts for water, Father, that would be our heart attitude towards you. And Father, I just thank you for doing that. I praise you for it. Thank you for, for these precious people. I thank you for the people of our church, Father. And Lord, I believe that you're doing something in our church. I believe, Father, that you're moving in, in a very, very special way. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for all the things that you have in store for each and every one of us and for us as a church body. And Lord, we, we receive it today. We love you with all of our hearts. And we commit to that today, Father, in Jesus' precious name. And I thank you for it. Now, Lord, I'm asking you right now, if there's anyone here that needs something from you, I pray as we reach up and receive it by faith, Lord, I believe that you'll minister and meet that need. I thank you for healing every physical body here that's in need of healing. I thank you for meeting a financial need that might be in this room today. Lord, I thank you for peace where someone is experiencing turmoil and anxiety. Father, I thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you and praise you and worship you because of who you are, that you're our loving, caring, heavenly Father. Would you do me a favor? Would you just take a moment, lift your hands, and just tell the Lord how much you love him, how much you appreciate him. You don't have to say it real loud, just between you and Jesus. Lord, we love you today. We thank you. We're so grateful for you. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.